Thank you for pressing play on this latest episode of A-Sides. This is episode 104, and I am Andy. For this episode, I spoke with my friend Shane of the Hot Summers. We're followed up on a recent episode of his, where now we're diving into one of his favorite bands ever, Journey. He's got the fire for Journey, and I've got the desire to talk to him. So I hope you enjoy this episode as we get a singer's perspective on the rock band Journey. Look, it's rock and roll! And... Cue music. talk about journey today i've got a few other little things to ask you first if that's okay maybe like little um appetizers for the main yeah. event first off it's not gonna it's you're not gonna ask me about any nude photos of of denny smith or anything are oh you? oh god no <laughs> okay because because i've got those just in case i ever need them oh for you like know, blackmail just, just, oh of course of course I always will have the upper hand with that man. <laughs> Friday, there's a movie coming out, and I think you're a fan of that series, right? The Halloween movies? Yes, I am. Are you looking forward to Halloween ends? I am, but I'm also basically prepared myself knowing that it's probably going to suck. But uh, <laughs> at least it's Michael Myers and, you know, that mask and... But but I don't expect, you know, a, a John Carpenter film or anything. I, I expect it just to be probably as on par as the last one, which was subpar at best. But yeah, see, that's what's so weird. I liked the first one. What was it, twenty eighteen? But I did yeah, like great. They were um, right the on. The, right on. I, I thought so too. They were right on. Uh, you know, they they gave hints to you know older fans like me that have been with the series and then they, you know, kind of updated things, but I still watching 2018 as, as good as a movie as it is looking back, it's, it makes no sense. It's stupid. I mean, why is, why is Laurie Strode, you know, for one thing, Michael Myers killed, they're saying five people. Jeffrey Dahmer killed 17 people, you know, in that time period, you know, after that, and all these people have done heinous, way more heinous things than than a guy stabbing a few teenagers. But she's like put her whole life on hold, you know, and there's really no reason for him to stalk her if she's not his sister. 
So when they took that out of the subplot, it the whole thing makes no sense anymore. It's like why why is Michael Myers obsessed with this girl, this woman now, and her family if they have no tie? You know what I mean? Before it was like, okay, it's his sister, although it was kind of dumb at the time. Looking back, it, it at least made us made sense for a sequel to happen. But now they're just you know oh well. It's not his sister. Then why the hell does he care? Why does she care? It's been 40 years. She, you know, I, I, all of us have lost a friend or a loved one, you know, and we all figure out ways of, you know, getting over it and, and going, you know, on with life. This, this lady has spent 40 years, you know, traumatized by, by something that, you know, Although it would be traumatizing, but at the same time, it's like 40 years you've had counseling, you've had kids, you've had, you know. And then there's him. There's no reason for him to go after her. What's what's the motivation? I don't, I don't understand. So 2018, as good as a movie as it was, looking back in hindsight, I'm like, this, this movie really doesn't make any fucking sense either. Yeah, really, when you put it that way, because at least in the last one, Halloween Kills, the other people uh, from that night who survived, they at least got together in a bar or something and were supposed to be like, it would have made more sense if it was counseling or a support group rather than meeting at a bar, but at least, yeah, Yeah. they'd moved on with their lives. Like you're saying, Laurie Strode was just living in the house with guns waiting for him to show up. Yeah, and it's like this guy, (laughs) and and he's been in prison for, or a an asylum for 40 years and you are, I don't know, just hoping that he gets out one day so you can kill him. And it's like, you know, how many people have lost somebody to a drunk driver or something? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, whether it be a friend or or a relative or something and you know, those people go to prison, you know, hopefully for the crime, you know, whether it be on accident or whatever. And, uh, you know, people go on with their lives somehow. Some They don't wait for this guy to get out of prison so they can kill him because they took a, you know, a loved one away. You learn to, you know, cope. And I just think that that, that whole her being this crazy, crazy old lady, you know, <laughs> when she was the strong one, you know, that's, that that's why people looked up to her. She was the heroine. Yeah. In Halloween one and two, she was strong and tough, and she you know didn't take shit, and she fought back, and and then they just made her into a an idiot, basically. Yeah, even the happened. one from uh, twenty years ago uh, where they brought her oh, back. H2O. Yeah, she was she was tough in that one too. Of and course, and this one they him. they they just make her into like a like a basket case and it's it's kind of sad because you know she's just doing it for money you know she can say that she loves that part all she wants but she's doing it for money and just her last hurrah probably which is fine but yeah i just think the writing kind of i don't know kind of sucks but (laughs) whatever but i but i'll probably watch it i watched that halloween kills that that i thought was kind of a piece of shit I probably watched that at least 30, 30 to 40 times. So I'll watch this one probably 30 to 40 times too. Oh, damn. I only saw the yeah, last I, one I once. 
I, I have a problem. Well, there's the theatrical version, and there's the the version with a different ending, and and if you know any, you know, hanging out with Mike Nichols here, the filmmaker and stuff, he he points out things all the time that that I the just the regular person watching the film would miss, but since they've released Halloween Kills, they've changed it probably four times. Oh, really? What did they and, change? Yes. Did they make it better? Well, no, no. It's just subtle things that, that most people wouldn't catch. But I caught it the first time. When I when I was at the theater, well, actually, no, when I saw it on Peacock, before I saw it at the theater, which I saw it that night, when they're in the bar, he if you watch the TV footage, they say that two people were killed at the gas station. Well, if you watch two, Halloween 2018, he killed two people that worked at the gas station and then the the two podcasters so isn't that four and but but it specifically said two well if you watch it digitally now which i own both versions on every platform because i have a problem (laughs) uh it doesn't say that anymore it fades it fades down to the point where you cannot there they don't say a number anymore and George Lucas has been doing it for years with Star Wars, you know, and movies like that. We don't really know it because they're subtle things that, you know, they aren't they aren't like plot lines or anything. They're just little things that most people won't even notice. But somebody like me that's kind of a fanatic, <laughs> when that disappeared, Mike called me. He was like, hey, they changed the movie again for digital. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, watch that part. And I did both versions and it now it doesn't say that it doesn't have that mistake in it. And I don't know if that was a mistake or if if they were planning on keeping, you know, the, the reporters somehow surviving, but maybe when they decided not to, they, they just, you know, faded that, that so you couldn't hear the the number of fatalities at the gas station anymore. So yeah, it's just nerdy shit that I know. <laughs> well, that's good. That's kind of like the kiss thing too, the kiss blood thing. Like I'm getting all these facts from you that I right? haven't gotten Just otherwise. Different. No, there everything. I mean, I live out in Hollywood, and I know that most about eighty to ninety percent of everything out here is just bullshit. So, <laughs> you know, it's a story. You know, they tell you what to feel, and half the time, it's more than half the time, it's really not the truth. It's an exaggerated, made up you know, kind of story. Well, here's something cool you... Oh, you recently posted something that I thought was really cool. You posted about um, Loretta Lynn. And, like, I hadn't really heard anything from her until a few years ago when I was going through the Rolling Stone 500 albums list. Mm -hmm. And she was one of the albums in there. And I really loved her music that I listened to. It was, like, one that stood out was Fist City. Yeah. She's a badass. She was the tough, you know, country. I mean, I think she had her first kid at like 13 or 14. Damn. I think she was a grandmother by the time she was like 30. I mean, I, I'm not even kidding. It was, it's, it was crazy. But, uh, and then if you ever, in the 70s and stuff, you know, we watched Coal Miner's Daughter. Oh, that's that right. That was based, based on her autobiography that she had written. And 
you know, that, that woman went through hell sucked by a husband that was abusive. She, I don't know. It was, she was abused, all kinds of things, but you know, she didn't, she didn't wave the flag. Boo hoo. Poor me. She went out there and kicked ass, you know, and made a life for herself and her family. And, you know, you got to respect somebody like, especially a woman in that day and age, you know, to, to be able to pull off the things that she did. I mean, she was incredible. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, women that have accomplished, accomplished something, you know, that, that big, that will live forever. You know, the Beyonce will, you know, and there's, there's a few, but she's, she was something special and it was sad. I mean, she was 90 years old. I mean, we can't live forever, but, you know, I think that she was a, she was a good woman and, uh, great business person. She, you know, employed many people and she was a great singer. And, you know, I, it's sad that she, she's no longer with us. Um, had you heard about her when you were like a kid? Or was yeah. Not- my, no, my, uh, what was funny is my, my mom, you know, introduced me to mostly, mostly rock and roll stuff. So I was always, you know, she was into the Partridge family and Bobby Sherman and, you know, the, the Osmonds and Jackson's five and all that stuff. And, but when we would go visit my grandmother on my dad's side, we would sometimes spend the weekends with her and she was an avid country fan. So we would always hear, you know, we'd hear Loretta Lynn. We, you know, I'd hear paper roses from uh, Willie Nelson, you know, she, you'd hear all that old, you know, real country. And, uh, so that's, that's where I was introduced to Loretta Lynn, but, and then coal miners daughter came out in like 77, I think 78. And I remember going to the drive-in, my, my mom and dad brought us to the drive-in and we saw coal miners daughter and, and, you know, me wanting to be a musician, even back then, you know, it was, uh, you know, something I was interested in and it touched me. It was a great story and, and she made it, you know, and it didn't matter if she was country or rock or whatever to me at, you know, eight or nine years old, I was like, you know, this is awesome. Check her out. She's on stage and she's all shiny and she's, <laughs> you've got rhinestones on and stuff. Cause you know, that's like kiss, you know? So I thought that was awesome. So <laughs> Well, also something else too. Speaking of older music, I came across an album just the other day at a co-op at Denny's store, and it was mm-hmm. the Boys from Illinois. Did you ever listen to them, or have you ever heard of that group? No, no. Oh, okay. Who are the was, Boys from Illinois? I guess it was something Jim Glass. If you know him, he had posted about yeah. something on Facebook like a long time ago, and he really liked uh, the Boys. And I'm like, I've never heard of this group before it was boys with like two z's and then i was just browsing the used uh, section at co-op just on sunday i saw that album for seven bucks and i was like hell yeah i'm getting that no i've never i never heard it i'll have to look that up i guess they're not streaming uh... anywhere or anything i guess you gotta look it up on youtube otherwise so well i remember the twigs back there in the in the 70s early 80s I remember 
the Jets, but hmm. I, I don't remember the boys. Were yeah. they from central Illinois or were they from up north? I think it might have been St. Charles area, but they were like a biker band or something. I think you might kind of like it. It kind of sounds like I don't. The only way I can describe it is like Peter Chris singing with the Silver Bullet Band instead of Bob Seger. Hmm. I'll definitely check that out. I always like finding new stuff, and over the last year, my my vinyl collection is like it's growing to the point where I'm gonna have to get a bigger bigger studio just to put my records in. Well, everybody's you know re-releasing their stuff on vinyl that was never on vinyl like i just got nestor's album on vinyl and i got the skid row the oh, the, yeah. the, fi- the five record you know the atlantic years and you know all this stuff that that's was either out of print or hard to find or they they had never released on vinyl before so i've been going crazy ordering that shit and like cheap trick Budokan, the complete concert just came out on vinyl which is you know not the edited version that you know was was the platinum record it it's the complete concert of budokan so had to order that one so, yeah because i think that was on cd or something but yeah it probably wasn't it was on it vinyl. came out in like 90 i think it came out in like 93 94 and uh but it's never been on vinyl and mm-hmm. now it's in vinyl so They'll get they they keep suckering me between them and Kiss. It's like it's like hey, we're gonna put out the you know the thirtieth anniversary or fortieth anniversary of of Creatures of the Night. Oh yeah, and when that you, album came oh. out, I fucking hated that fucking album. But guess what? <laughs> I bought it. I I ordered it. I ordered it with the Creatures of the Night T-shirt, and I was like, I'm I just they just keep they keep suckering me in, Andy. They keep getting me. So did you I get say, the vinyl or did you get the uh, box set? I didn't buy the, the really expensive one. I got the, the one that's the three record set on album Oh yeah, with the t-shirt. I, I don't buy uh, CDs anymore. I, I just buy vinyl and then, you know, and, and either get the code or or whatever. But I usually don't. Everything I buy now is just vinyl. And uh, if it's not on vinyl, you know, I'll buy it on CD, I guess. But for the most part, I just buy vinyl anymore. It seems like more bang for the buck, you know, like it was when we were kids. You got a, the artwork and usually oh, yeah. lyrics and pictures and, you know, it just makes it, I don't know, just brings me back. So I'm an old guy, man. I just, <laughs> I'm, I love, I love that shit. I was talking to a lady today at the store. We were in line at, at the Ralph's shopping market and uh, grocery store. And uh, we were. I was going, man, they're charging so much for food these days and stuff. But isn't it funny that these stores have like laid off half their employees and they're doing twice the work for the same amount of money. And we're waiting in line because they don't have a bagger and checkers have to do bowls. I was like, man, I miss the 70s and 80s. You know, it wasn't perfect, but, you know, kids could play and, yeah. you know, things weren't the way they are now. Everybody's at each other's throats. And I feel like I might be like a crazy person, but talking about the grocery store, if I'm at the grocery store, like, I always go to the actual checkout line with the person. I don't want to use the U-scan for the 
Me too. Because every time, yeah. <laughs> well, every time you go to the U scan, if you if you, if it's anything like my experience, there's there's always somebody there that has to fucking help you. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like, please wait for assistance. And it's like what, what for what? You know, and they, so there's there's a, there's a physical person that has to help anyway. So it's like, I'm just going to use the line because. You know, I'm going to have to interact with somebody anyway because these things don't work half the fucking time. <laughs> but oh, yeah. <laughs> but my son works at a market, so at least now I bring the carts to the little cart thing before I never did because I was like, fuck. They get paid for this. If I keep doing somebody's job, they're going to have to lay off this kid. You know, that that collected carts if they don't have to collect carts anymore. And then my son got the job, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll bring the carts to the thing now. <laughs> <laughs> I always put them back because I was afraid it would, like, roll into somebody's car or something. So I always put them back in the corral. Right. Well, you're one of the good ones because I've got about five dings in my Challenger that are from people that aren't so nice. So, And they really show on a black car. Ooh. I guess I do have one other thing, too, before we get to oh, shit. Journey. And it's not about Denny. Good. Although I did remember something, though. Uh, Kenny, he said he did buy that huge Creatures box set, though, with all the oh, did he? stuff. So they suckered somebody into it. <laughs> well, I mean, some people, I mean, that was like their album. You know, for me, I was into them, you know, in the 70s. And not that Kenny wasn't, but I know Kenny's a, a super fan, too. So, yeah. They get us. I I just couldn't I couldn't spend that kind of money on it, and I I I didn't see a vinyl version of it. I saw it, it being CDs, and I was like, I'm not going to spend three hundred bucks for CDs and shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I can, you know, get the record and just burn it. I don't know. I don't know. But since the last time we talked, you hadn't played at the Monsters on the Mountain show yet, but now you have. So how was that? It was really cool. I was, uh, you know, I, I had some health issues before that, and I was kind of afraid we were traveling. And But it all worked out. I felt great. We stayed at my brother Shannon's house. He helped out and uh, spent the weekend with us, so it was nice hanging out with my brother. Oh, cool. We don't really get to see each other a lot, and it was it was really cool. He, he got to hang out, and he and I, you know, the first night, we got there uh, the night before we played, and we we went and saw Striper and watched some bands, like Kicks and stuff, and, you know, it was just cool hanging out with him, and he was able to go backstage, and he got to meet some people, and and then, you know, talking to, you know, people like Michael Sweet before, he went on before we did, and he was really... The nicest guy, and then Jeff Scott Soto and I hanging out talking about Journey and stuff was really cool. Oh, awesome. because I had actually saw him sing for Journey at Irvine Meadows at the Jack FM show, one of his only Journey shows, you know, in in uh, uh, the United States. And so I actually saw him, and that was like a hometown show for him. He wore a Laker jersey, and I I remember it, and I was like, man. I was so impressed and he heard me sing after I went on and he was like, I could tell 
I can I can hear Steve Perry influencing you, buddy. <laughs> and and it was just funny because we had a kinship that we you know we're both Perry addicts, and he actually got that gig. And even though it was short lived, you know he can always say, "Hey, I was in I was in fucking Journey," which I can never say. I've just been in some tributes, unfortunately, but which I'm not anymore, but I'm not doing the journey thing right now. So, yeah, was that a thing where, yeah, you were like uh, going out to Colorado and back and forth, right? For those shows? Yeah, I was, I was traveling a lot and I, I had, you know, a bad case of vertigo and I had to go to the hospital and all kinds of stuff. And it takes a while for that to, to leave. And these guys kept booking shows, even though I kept saying, Hey, chill out, man, I got, I got to get well. And they started using substitutes and I was like, you know, once you start doing that, we're not a band anymore. We're just a product. And, you know, I, I wished them well and stuff. And it just but, seems like that know. would be hard to like, you know, fly out there. It's like, um, all the time flying would be like longer than the actual like show. Right. It was. I would yeah. fly in, and then they started getting me in a day before. So basically, I was there for almost three days. And it's like, you know, that, that takes away from my family life. That takes yeah. away from everything. You guys are going down the street. You know, you're asking a lot of me. And then when I, you know, had that bout with vertigo, you know, which my ENT said, well, one of our trips, one of my trips, I got covid and when I got back from a show with them, I got off the plane. I started feeling weird the next day and I had COVID. So the, my ENT said that he, his scenario was I, I got, when I had COVID, it can affect your inner ear and I probably got a really bad infection, you know, with COVID being like, you know, the starter and, and so it, it affected my equilibrium and and it really fried my inner ear Ooh. COVID. And so he said that'll take probably about six weeks. You know, he said if it's kind of like if you broke your foot and you were wearing a cast, you'd take your cast off at six weeks, you know. And he was like, It hasn't even been six weeks for you. So you have to give your, you know, your inner ear a chance to breathe and and I just kept flying, you know, I kept flying and we all know what that does to your, you know, your ears popping and all kinds of stuff. So I, I just kept making it worse until it got to the point where I literally, you know, couldn't stand up and was vomiting for five hours until the, the emergency squad got here and checked me. They thought I was having a, having a, a heart attack or a stroke. Oh shit. And they, Literally, the the ENTs were. I'm on my couch and I'm just throwing up into a into a pan and and they're you know working on me and I'm like and I just couldn't stop. It was it was probably the scariest day of my life. And instead of these guys you know calling and saying, "Hey man, are you are you okay?" It was like, "Hey man, are you going to be able to make the show in two days?" And I'm like, "Dude, I'm at the hospital, dude. I'm, I'm literally at the emergency room." Yeah, but are you going to be able to play? Are you going to be able to fly out day after tomorrow? And I'm like, really? You know, that's when things started going bad. So, um, you got to value yourself or have some self worth. 
Yeah, and there and there's some really good guys in the band, and they they actually are probably the most talented Journey tribute band out there. They really are, hmm. and they're great. I did my best. What you said about taking care of yourself, though, it reminds me of something you had also posted on Facebook about a quote from Steve Perry, where he was talking about. I guess it was a long post, but it was something about um, guitar players. You know, they get calluses. And they almost get better, like they kind of get um, used to playing. But if you abuse your voice so much to where you get a callus, you're done, right? Yeah, you're done, or you have. They have. That's what happened to to Paul Stanley. He's the perfect example. That that guy over toured, over toured, over sang, and he ended up with with calluses on his vocal cords. They tried two or three surgeries, and this is the best they can do. I mean, he's, he's as far as being the great singer that he was, uh, he'll never be anywhere close to that ever. And it's because of exactly what Steve Perry was saying. It's like, you know, they always call us singers prima donnas and shit. Cause we, we ask for things that, that aren't of the norm. Like I don't like fog machines when I sing, you know, a lot of bands like, Oh, fog makes us look all badass and cool it affects my vocal. So if it affects my vocal, we're not doing it. Yeah. And, but they're like, Oh, but it looks so cool. Or, Hey, you know, I need room temperature water. I I can't drink cold water when I'm singing on stage because it, it freezes the vocal cords and you got to keep it warm and like primed the whole time while you're singing. And then, you know, somebody will bring you ice cold water. It's like, I can't fucking drink this. And you come off like a prima donna, but there's reasons for everything that we do. It's not, it's because we have to take care of this, this instrument that is our body. They don't understand what singers go through to be, I take it serious. I've always taken it very serious. I never want to suck. I never want to give 50% when I'm out there, I want to be the best I can be. And that being said, that means I need to take care of certain things and certain things have to be done a certain way. And if they're not, then I'm not going to be the best I can be. So what Steve Perry was basically saying was exactly what I'm saying. We get called prima donnas or hard to work with because we have demands and we have things that we have to have a certain way. And it's really not that. We, we can be prima donnas because we have to have a little bit of confidence self-worth to be able to do what we do but at the same time a lot of the things that we get called out for are actually just things to to help our craft and and help our instrument get through you know whether it be a tour or just one show you know i've had nights where i can't even talk and i'm taking steroids and prednisone and stuff just to get anything I played a show in Denver with Bullet Boys, and literally, I we flew in that morning. I was so sick, and I couldn't talk. I had a I had a throat infection. I had went and got antibiotics the day before at urgent care, and I was taking prednisone like like candy, just to make it through the night. And they did sound check without me because I I just I laid around. I was just trying to gives much rest and then the prednisone you know prednisone leads to you know stomach issues so 
there's a bunch of stomach issues all day. And then, oh, you know, they, they drive me to the show. I, I have to do a meet and greet and I'm so fucking sick and I'm wearing a scarf and it's cold outside. Cause it was, I think we were playing golden Colorado that night. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was horrible, but I got up on stage and, you know, I, I don't know if it was the drugs, the adrenaline, or or all of the above, but I actually sang pretty good. Not my best night, but surprised the hell out of me. And regardless of what anybody else wants to put on you or try to tell you, hey, you need to do this, or you need to be at soundcheck, or they don't know. I only know, you know. So it's it's it can be rough. It can be rough being a singer. I saw but, something where Miles Kennedy, if you're familiar with him from yeah. um, Alter Bridge and that. Yeah, he's I a great think, singer. I think there's something where he doesn't, like a lot of bands do three or four nights in a row. He'll only do two nights in a row, and then they have to take a day off because he doesn't want to overdo his voice either. So, Well, he and he's, yeah. you know, he knows better than anybody. I'm in agreement yeah, with it's you. Just, but there's a lot of people that, you know, they don't get it. They they just think we're just egomaniacs. That that's why most insurance companies for big bands and stuff. If you look at their tour itinerary, especially older people, you know that have been doing this for decades, like the Rod Stewart's and stuff, they won't book them. They they they'll have a hard time getting insurance on a tour to play more than two shows in a row. Oh. So if you look at at most older acts, especially like bigger acts that are like the who and bands like that if you look at their itinerary you'll barely ever see anything over two nights in a row and there's either a day or two days between shows and that's that's in their their contract with the insurance company hmm. because okay. they they you know they have they've had enough experience knowing that you know you can you can only do so much to your body like arnell with getting back to journey. I mean, look at that guy. That guy has been beaten up, weathered. I mean, I didn't think he'd be able to even tour anymore. After that last tour, they beat him up so bad. And then they started this tour and he was sounded horrible. And then they did a whole press release thing saying, Oh, well we fired our front of house guy. And cause he was the problem. He couldn't hear his monitors. And now we have monitors, and he can hear himself, and he sounds great. And then Arnell started sounding great. And I was like, hmm, that's funny, because front of house has nothing to do with your monitors. That's a completely different part of your, you know, your 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 show. You know, the moni- there's a monitor guy, and then there's your front of house. Front of house is for the audience. The monitor guy takes care of the people on stage. So when they said they fired their front of house guy and their monitors got better, I was like, hmm, that sounds a little fishy. <laughs> and so, and then they, then they, they were detuning. They were playing a half step down and they've done that for the last few years. But this tour, they tuned back up to 440, which is standard. So you've got a guy that's on his last leg that's a year older than I am. So I know what it feels like to be this old singing this shit. And he's having to do it at night after night. Cause Neil Sean is relentless. 
you know, and then all of a sudden Arnell is doing great, which either tells me something's going on because once your voice is shot, you know, Paul Stanley's never going to sound the same. Arnell's never going to sound the same. But all of a sudden he's hitting the notes again. It's like, hmm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that, you know, I'm not saying that I know that they're playing the tracks because I don't know. But they did it with our jury, so I wouldn't put it past them to be giving Arnell a little help, which at this point I respect them totally. I would do whatever I could because this is probably his last tour with them. I don't, I don't think he's going to be able to do it again. It's sad that they keep saying, oh, well, look at all we've done without Steve Perry. And they keep saying, oh, look, you know, we, we sell out arenas and look at what we're doing. But they're doing it off of his back. I mean, they're his songs. It's his voice people are going to hear. Why'd they hire a guy that sounded like Steve Perry, if you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, they, they contradict themselves all the time, and it's like... Well, what was your introduction to Journey, though, to actually get into the band? I remember driving... Our mom used to take us to Arby's, our, our, me and my brothers, and we were all into Pepsi, right? And hated Coke, but everybody had <laughs> Coke. But, but Arby's on Court Street, it was across the street from the hospital, had Fountain Pepsi. So a few nights a week, my mom would take you know me and my two brothers in the car, and she'd go through, you know, the drive-thru, or sometimes we would go inside, but most of the time we'd go in the drive-thru, and we'd all get a Pepsi, and we would drive around and listen to the radio. And my mom always loved music, so she was always, you know, pretty cool. She she dug, you know, whatever was hip, but she liked the classics, but she also, you know, she stayed current, you know, more of the top 40. And uh, I remember driving you know, by, by East campus. And, uh, I think it was any way you want it came on listening to, I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy sings like, even at that age, I was like, I knew that that guy was like, wow. You know, there's, there's voices like Elvis and, you know, Sam cook. There's, there's people that just Michael Jackson, there's voices that you just hear once and you're like, oh man, this is a legend. You know, this this is a, a, a legend. If they're not yet, they will be. And I I felt that. And I was a huge KISS fan at the time. And the only time I ever heard anything that wasn't KISS, because I was so into KISS, I couldn't listen to anybody else, <laughs> was when I was in the car with my mom or my mom had like WLS on the radio in the hallway in our old house on court street. And those, that was how I got, you know, introduced to, to a lot of bands, Boston and journey and Van Halen. And, but, you know, I didn't own any of the records because I was until creature of the night. I, I literally didn't listen to any other music except kiss. It was almost my my weird loyalty to them, and the only the only exceptions were Van Halen because of their relationship with Gene Simmons and Cheap Trick because Cheap Trick toured with them. So those were my two exceptions that I could listen to. 
and in my weird, you know, <laughs> kiss face until Creatures of the Night. And by that point, once they got rid of Peter Chris and he was gone, I was like, that's my guy. And it's over. So, you know, but getting back to Journey, I'm sorry, I'm getting way off track. But Oh, no, I hearing, asked what your introduction was, so... But you got to think, this is, what, 78, 77, 78? So, I mean, I was, you know, eight or nine years old. So, but I, but it is weird that I, I remember, you know, where I was when I first heard Journey. It's like and the heavenly beam of light just kind of... Uh shown down on you it, it um, did your, and what's, what's crazy <laughs> what's real what's even weirder though andy is that you know i started getting into more metal and and harder rock and stuff right yeah and after you know around 80 81 i in 1981 i i joined a band that was ran by this uh it was called matthew's music and I was 13 years old and I joined this band and the the owner of the shop was 25 or 26 at the time. I was a baby, but I played drums and I could sing backups and they, uh, we started playing out, uh, the winter of 1982 and my first show on stage was at, uh, the hole in the wall of all places in Pekin, Illinois opening up for a band called Claw, which if you ever talked to D Denny would know the guy that played guitar in Claw was like one of, I don't know if he owned the original co-op in Pekin in the 70s or he just ran it. His name was Wes. Hmm. And he, but anyway, before that show, my mom gave me a necklace and a, and a pendant it was 1982 and it was a gold eighth note and i had no idea until years later that that's the same gift that steve perry's mother had given him before one of his first shows oh wow that's crazy. and it, it was it's pretty crazy and i have i have pictures of me wearing this in 1982 and 83 wearing that that eighth note and it's exactly the same one that he wore. And my mom didn't do it. She had no idea. And I had no idea. I wasn't that big of a Journey fan back then. And I don't even think it was known, you know, that that his mother had given him an eighth note necklace. And it's just really, really weird that my mom picked this pendant out and necklace and gave it to me before my first real show. And it's the same exact fucking necklace that Steve Perry's mother had given him before his first big show. Damn, yeah, because even like you're saying too, even um, there's not like there wasn't really the internet then. There was like magazines. So. My mom wasn't like a huge Journey fan or anything, and I wasn't either at the time. But it's just weird that, you know, years later, Steve Perry you know, has become such a part of me and, and who I am and, and influenced me so much. And it's just weird that, that that happened in 1982, just, you know, coincidentally, 
you yeah. know, something like it. And unfortunately, you know, I was, I was kicked out of my house when I was like 15 years old. So I, I, I really don't have anything from when I was a kid. And when my mother passed away, I looked through a jewelry box and I was praying that I would find that. And I never did. Oh, and I have a, uh, I, over the last like five or six years, I've wore a white gold one that I found, uh, that's reminiscent of it, but it's not, it's not the one. And I literally cannot find that, that, that pendant anywhere, you know? So I talked to a custom jeweler and I might have them make it for me, but it's, it's just sad that I wish I, it's one of those things where, you know, if I could go back in time, it's one of those things I wish I could change. I wish I could, I, I would have, I wish that would have meant as much to me as it probably meant to her giving it to me. Unfortunately, I was, you know, a punk and probably thought it was cooler to wear spike, you know, choker chain than, than a, you know, that eighth note necklace. So I probably took it off and put it, you know, a Nikki six choker on and, you know, what an idiot I am. Oh, well, when you're a teenager, you don't like, you're not sentimental. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it was a different world, but well, you're talking about too how a while ago that you were buying like new vinyl or you're getting stuff that was never pressed before, right? Do you have any journey in your collection now? Oh yeah, I have everything, and I I bought the the Target limited edition uh, Journey Live 1981 in uh, Houston. That came out to dual disc live set from that famous concert. But yeah, I have, I basically have everything. I even have the, uh, in the beginning, which is the, the three disc set of the three albums before Steve Perry was in the band. Oh, wow. I did but check out that, the live in Houston one. That's, that to me is the, that's, that's where I learned everything I've everything I did on the stage when it comes to journey when I when I was doing those were the versions that I learned because it was like he was at his peak as far as his vocal and the band was on fire and as I just that's that's the concert even though I I raised on radio is my favorite journey record oh wow just because it was more soulful made it and he sang like his voice by that that time had lowered you know from years of wear so he couldn't hit the highs like he used to so he he started getting more bluesy and more soul you know in his voice because he had matured and it wasn't the helium voice anymore it was more that that throaty and that album to me is like that's that's like gold i if that's one of those you know deserted island records i just i'll listen to that over and over again just to hear his voice on that record oh wow that to surprised me. me that you i would say that one because i like it but i didn't know if how hmm. like longtime fans thought about it well they, a lot of longtime fans didn't really you know they thought it was well, even the band thought it was more of a Steve Perry solo record. 
because yeah. he'd taken over. His mother got sick at that time. He was always really close to his mom, and his mom was dying. So while they were recording that, he was flying back and forth from the hospital to the studio in a helicopter, and they did a bunch of demos. And their demos, they used a drum machine, which was pretty much, you know, that was pretty new technology in 85, 86. And so they did all their demos with these drum machines that were tight and, you know, there's no flubs and everything was very straight. And then when they called Steve Smith in to start playing, the story goes that, you know, Steve is, you know, Steve's a phenomenal drummer. But he's not a drum machine, you know, he has a feel and they couldn't sync him up to the tracks because if you know anything about Journey, they don't, they didn't like to do demos. Mm. Like Steve Perry didn't, like they wouldn't do demos for songs because what would happen when they tried that is the demo always was better than the, the, what they tried to recreate because the spontaneity, spontaneity and the feel was gone by the second time. So they didn't like to do demos. So they recorded all these things with a drum machine and all the tracks they were going to keep, you know, as far as vocal, guitar, keyboard, and everything. But when it came to the rhythm section, because they were such natural players, they couldn't, they physically couldn't connect with these very straight rhythms and so that's why they they got rid of ross valerie and, and steve smith at the time and that's when they got randy jackson and mike beard because they were more you know he was a funkier bass player which is steve perry you know steve perry wanted to be sam cook bottom yeah. line i mean that's his idol and he finally had this funky bass player that could you know give him that funk that he needed for his stuff that ross valerie as great as he he was or is you know he's not that funky bass player he's more of that 70s you know almost like a paul mccartney type of bass player which is awesome but he's not funky so <laughs> but when that album came out a lot of people didn't like it as much because there it was different it was more soulful. It wasn't, you know, wasn't a lot of extended guitar solos. You know, it was, it, there wasn't really even a rock song on it, really. And especially so you probably really like Street Talk then, too, because that's got kind of that. I like a lot of street, street Talk. It's for the time, I guess. It, But looking back, some of it's not so great. But the hits were phenomenal. Well, what songs do stand out on Raise on Radio? Because ones that I like is like that Girl Can't Help It. I like Positive Touch. Like, I think it starts off really awesome. Positive Touch, that's one of my favorites because of that sax solo at the end. Yeah. That yeah. sax solo was so... And, that, and that's the... That's that Motown influence that Steve Perry was really trying to achieve on that record, I think. I mean, because that, that, I love that song. And is it a great song? No. It's not something you're going to sing along with and stuff. It's not your any way you want it. But that, 
you can't forget that when you hear that that the sax solo you know just that outro to that song and him singing along with it and it's like whoa but suzanne on there i love suzanne that's a great song why can't this night go on forever probably the best ballad that they ever wrote and steve smith did play on that one because he they needed that feel they needed that open arms you know laid back you know feel but yeah i love i love that record I, that's my go-to. Oh, awesome. If, if, if you go, hey, what what Journey record do you want me to put on? I'll, I'll say that probably 95% of the time. Hmm. Now, if you say, what's your favorite Journey song of ever, of all time? I will say Natural Thing. Oh, yeah. Which, which was never on a record until they were re-released and remastered. But it was a flip side to don't stop believing if i were if i recall but since i've been singing lead that's been my rehearsal song for literally decades when if you hear me in the backstage area and i'm warming up i'll do all my exercises and stuff and then i'll start singing you know a natural thing and i've been doing that for literally decades even before i ever sang in a journey band that was always my warm-up. Oh, cool. I haven't heard that one, so I'll have to do some digging. Because I know some of those albums online, they've got the bonus tracks on there, but... Yeah, they're on, they've are on. they re-released them as bonus tracks now, and I think that's on Infinity. or No, not Infinity. I think Evolution. Oh. Because it's, it's, uh, it's before Jonathan Cain was in the band. It was actually recorded with Greg Raleigh. Oh, okay. But it's... it's it's kind of soulful, kind of mid-tempo, kind of laid back. It's very, if you're a vocalist, you'll go, oh, fuck. This is like one of his greatest, you know, vocals. Speaking of the vocals, there's some stuff that really, really stood out to me this time going through some of these albums and stuff um, recently. Right. I Like the Hot Summers? You've been listening to the Hot Summers? Oh, I have in my car, especially when I plug my phone in. <laughs> uh uh, your Do you song hear any comes Journey up... influence? Do you hear any Journey influence? Because like Touch of Hate, I really tried to, uh, I really tried to, to bring a little of the Steve Perry uh, influence into a couple of those songs. But well, that song and a single heart, those come up first in my car when I plug my phone in because I guess it goes alphabetical order. So your band's first. Oh well, good <laughs> as it should be. Yeah. More people need to hear that stuff. I guess they Get need to tired. have their phone in alphabetical order, and then it'll I know, right? come up. But... I know. <laughs> I know. Well, the stuff that stood out to me from Journey, though, is I already liked it anyways. I've just been so in love with just the same way and then feeling that way in any time. Like, I like those guys' voices together, and that didn't really happen a whole lot on those earlier right. albums. When, I, when I've been in these journey bands and stuff, those have been my least favorite. I, I never liked Greg Raleigh's voice, I guess. Well, Steve Perry's your guy, though, so I, why would you? <laughs> well, especially doing the cover thing, you know, when we, were, we would play, you always had the keyboards going, oh, I want to sing. And... <laughs> 
you know it's like you know the only reason why those songs were done the way they were is because you know steve was new steve never would have put up with him being second fiddle to greg raleigh you know by the second record you know that never would have happened just wouldn't have because for one you know me being the singer out there i'm I'm standing up there for half the song. Basically, I don't have a guitar. I'm not doing anything but standing there waiting for my part, <laughs> you know. And then I come in, I sing a couple bars, and then Greg Raleigh starts singing again. And you're just, even those old videos in the, the Midnight Special, you know, you see Steve Perry's just kind of like, all right, come on, come on with it. When's my turn, you know, <laughs> so I can just blow you the fuck out of the water. <laughs> but yeah it's just i was there's there's people that really you know like those songs and they're not bad songs they're still great songs but they were never my cup of tea teach his own that's what makes uh music great you know yeah. what you love i may hate you know but you know i might like something completely different but that's what makes us unique and that's why people used to have albums. Now, you know, all we get is singles and shit. So if I hate your single, then I'm not going to buy your shit, you know, <laughs> where you used to buy a record and you might like just the same way. And I might like the third track, you know, and we both would buy that same record, but there were things about it that each one of us were different about, you know, thought differently about. And now it's not really like that. It's like, you know, if I hear a new artist and I hear the, the single that they released and I don't like it, chances are I'm not going to dive any deeper and see if I like another song off their record because, you know, that just doesn't work that way anymore, unfortunately. Or everybody's got shorter attention spans. If you don't hook them right away, they're going to be on to the next thing that will hook them. What? Who are you? <laughs> what? <laughs> Where am I? Where am I? What are, what are we talking about again? Kiss? We're talking about those what? Denny Smith photos. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> they don't exist. He can breathe. I did buy a, a Tron arcade game the other day. Well, a few weeks ago. And if, you, if you're a Journey fan, you know that they did two songs off the soundtrack. And when they did the Tron, uh, the second Tron movie, Separate Ways is in that one. So Journey's been, you know, touching, you know, the whole Tron universe for a while. So when I play Tron, I'll, I'll listen to Only Solutions or I'll, I'll listen to Separate Ways or something. It's just something corny that I do. But <laughs> I did order a Raspberry Pi that, that I can stick in one of my video games that will give me like 5,000 games. And the journey arcade game is one of them. I oh, had to cool. make sure. So I'll be playing that very boring game, but very cool at the same time. Are you familiar with stranger things on Netflix? Yes. Yes. And what's, what's funny about that, which is another thing. I go to a church called South Hills. And uh, the the music director, pastor, uh, left there probably about three, four months ago. His name was Steve Bertrand. 
and he was in a band called the Tories back in the in the nineties, two thousands. And they had a couple of, you know, MTV hits and and then he, he actually was the music director on I think it was either American Idol or The Voice for years. So he's always brought in such talent, like the the drummers, the drummer for, you know, Tears for Fears and the bass player from Wayland and just, you know, the, he always got top tier musicians. Well, when this uh, Separate Ways came out that was on the new Stranger Things, I uh, I noticed they, they did a release, you know, of like a, and one of my friends on Facebook, which just happens to be a keyboard, the keyboardist from the band from church was like, yeah, I, I look what I did. And I, you know, Steve Perry loved this. And I was like, what? And so I contacted Bryce and I was like, dude, what, what's, you know, what's up? And he was like, listen, he goes, you never believe it, but Steve Perry called me, literally wow. called me on the phone and was like, how did you get these tracks? How did you get these vocal tracks? Because that's one of the few records that they weren't able to to uh, remaster because they can't find the the tracks. They can't find the tapes from Frontiers, that record. It's, it's like been gone. So he's like, how did you get my isolated vocal tracks? And Bryce is like, he's a genius when it comes to Pro Tools and, and audio, because that's what he does. And he literally stripped them from the original file and then re, you know, ran them through all kinds of, you know, filters and everything and was able to isolate his tracks. So the tracks that are on there, it's not like they had the master tracks and they just took the vocals and, and, you know, put them on this new version. No, those actually are the tracks that are just off of a CD or a digital file that you or I could have. And he literally stripped the vocals through his programs and, and his knowledge and put those vocals over the new music track that he created. Oh, damn. So, he told me all kinds of stuff. He told me that when they, uh, they, when it went on iTunes, the Stranger Things, uh, they released the Stranger Things uh, three. What is it? Three or what? What number is it now? Is it uh, three, four. four, five, four? When they released that, they put it digitally out, and their their separate ways was not uh, finished mastered yet so when bryce heard that they had released it he was like wait we haven't gotten it back yet it, it's not done it's not mastered yet you're releasing something that you know this isn't our master we didn't sign off on this so he said that steve perry literally got on the phone and called whoever was distributing it and was like you're gonna pull that and you're going to replace it with our version of our mastered track. And he was like, man, that guy has still to this day has so much pull in the industry. <laughs> they pulled it down. They pulled it down and waited for them to get the new track that, that Steve and, and Bryce were working on and had it mastered. 
their master and had that put back on. So they actually literally the first drop of that album, they'd probably be, you know, for a real collector, there's probably versions out there that are a different mastered version than the ones that were approved by Steve and, and Bryce. But it was just cool hearing these stories. Yeah. And he knew that I sang in a, a Steve Perry, you know, in a journey tribute. So I was like, well, dude, just let me know, man. I'll, I'll come over. He goes, well, Steve and I are working on some more stuff. So you never know. So I was like, Hmm, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> let me know. Let oh, me know so when and where. Um, so you've met Peter Chris, but you haven't met Steve Perry yet. No, he actually when uh, when he was doing for the love of strange strange medicine uh, mm-hmm. tour, he was rehearsing at at Third Encore, and my my drummer at the time was working at Third Encore, and then I had friends there, and they knew I was a Steve Perry fan, and. Uh, they had uh, one of his promos signed to me, and I've had that, oh, but cool. I've never, and that was probably, what, 92, maybe 93, but yeah, I, I never, I've never met him, so that would be, that would be very cool. He would definitely be a, uh, I would probably say a bunch of dumb shit, you know, <laughs> one of those people that would get me all flustered and like you do, Andy, <laughs> get me all flustered. And I just say stupid shit. <laughs> I think you say cool stuff. So, well, thank you. Well, at least you say stuff when I get flustered, I just kind of freeze up. Speaking of journey, do you know the song? Uh, Where were you? It doesn't ring a bell, but um, what was it on? Or was it like a, no, it was on a record. I I would have to look up which record those those first three with Perry I always mix up because they you know to me they're like one big record because I actually aren't... never listened to anything before Steve Perry was in the band and I kind of don't really want to. Well, these these have Steve Perry in the band. These are before Escape, before Jonathan Cain. So these were oh like Departure and Evolution. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and Evolution. But uh, yeah, where were you if you listen to that riff? As as Neil Shun likes to litigate so much and sue people and and like want to own everything, I'm so surprised that he never sued Motley Crue for stealing that riff and writing "Looks at Kill" from that. Huh? Because it's the same riff. Where it, were it literally, you? Yeah, um, yeah, it's on departure. It's it's the same riff. I mean, you literally can play that and play "Looks at Kill" side by side. It's the same song. It's even the same tempo. Oh damn! They've been getting screwed over for years. Man, as far as people stealing their riffs and their songs, and I don't, know. I don't know. Well, Journey is pretty awesome. Journey is, is, you know, Journey, as far as Steve Perry, Neil Sean, Greg Raleigh, you know, the, the, the people that were inducted into the Hall of Fame, that's yeah. Journey. Yeah. You know, that Journey is awesome, and that will probably never be matched again. But, you know, there's, there's other bands there 
you know, that were kind of like in the eighties coming up that, that kind of took their, the influence from journey, you know, the survivor, you know, which I'm a huge fan of survivor, but if you listen to survivor, it's almost like they, they took the, the journey rule book and they go, okay, this is how to do this. This is how we're going to write this. And these are the keys that we need to sing in. And, you know, some of the early survivor stuff with Dave Bickler singing, you know, it's almost like he's trying to be Steve Perry, you know, and it's a lot of those bands from that era, you know, even foreigner, you listen to some foreigner stuff and, you know, there were some great singers for that early eighties, but I have to, you know, I honestly believe that most of them were, you know, they were just trying to do their best Perry. I can agree. They have that, like, it was like once they hit that, I think it was Escape and had Jonathan Kane. It's like they really mastered that kind of arena rock, I guess. I don't know if that's what you call it, but. Yeah, that's, I mean, they called it corporate rock, which I always yeah. thought was insulting because, you know, it, it's just funny. It's like they, you know, like who 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 said that? Was it Kiss? Do we sell out? Yeah, we sell out every night or whatever. Whoever said that? But it's like, you know, corporate rock. It's like, fuck you. You know, we're all corporate. You know, anybody that plays on a stage that has you know that sells their T-shirts, that sells their their music, everything. You know, who doesn't want to sell and make money? You know. Yeah. So when somebody does well, especially in the 80s and stuff, they would call them corporate rock and just label bands and, and musicians as, you know, oh, sellouts or this or that because they became successful, which, you know, all it showed me was these people were just jealous because, you know, they weren't. You know, everybody says, oh, I love playing intimate clubs. Bullshit. <laughs> everybody wants to play an arena. Give me a break. You know, even, you know, when we did Monsters on the Mountain, we played early and was the place packed? No. I mean, we played at like one thirty in the afternoon or 2.30 or something, but I got to play an arena. I had never played an arena in my life. I've been playing, you know, literally since 1982 stages and I got to play an arena. So when people say, yeah, you know, I don't mind. I, I really love playing the intimate shows, you know, smaller clubs and bullshit. We all <laughs> want to play fucking Dodger Stadium. Why wouldn't you? You know, you want to play to as many people as you can. You want to feel that 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 feeling, you know, I mean, there is something to it because I do. I do like the club shows and stuff, maybe because you can get up closer. There's more opportunity to get up closer, but. Being in those arena shows, you got people of all ages singing your songs. Yeah. Well, I mean, the clubs are fine. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying because I'm probably going to be playing clubs the rest of my life, which is fine. You know, I, I, I don't know. So corporate rock, to be corporate rock, I would, I would love to be called corporate rock because that means I'm successful. I mean, Journey, getting back to Journey because it, it – a lot of it comes back to Journey. There was never video screens at shows before Journey. Did you know that? Oh uh, no, I didn't know that. Not not like not like productions where they went on the road. What was funny about Journey is they invested into a sound company. Hmm. 
They were called Nightmare Productions back in the 70s. And they literally bought all their gear and and started using large, you know, large format screens, projections, and light shows. And when they were off a tour, they would rent them to bands like Boston and other bands that were touring. So they were way ahead, you know, as far as, you know, uh, technology and, and they, and, and they owned that technology and they would rent it, you know, where if you look at some of the live records that came out, I would have to go through my stuff, but a lot of the live records that came out, if you read on there, you know, it'll say, you know, sound by nightmare production or lighting by nightmare production. Those were, that was journey. They owned all that stuff. They owned the sound company that would go out and, and literally, you know, so to me, they were, they were innovators for, you know, the shows that we, we know now, even today without their innovations and the things that they, they did first, and at their level, you know, may, they may not have been the first, but they were the first to do it at the level that they were doing it and being able to move it from show to show. Because, I mean, these screens, I mean, back then were very primitive and very expensive and heavy. And I guess if they weren't a corporate band that was making money, they wouldn't have been able to afford that stuff, would they? Mm, shit, you're not yeah. getting that shit in the you're not getting you know big screens and video projections in a club but <laughs> but journey is like innovative you know they did a lot of stuff and they don't get credit for it you know and it's it's really sad because if it weren't for their live shows you know back in the early 80s and stuff the shows today you know might look different you know we maybe the guy way in the back wouldn't be able to see shit you know like it was when i was a kid you know if you got shitty shows show seats at you know the civic center you weren't seeing the band you saw little ants you know running around but now you know there's projection screens halfway you know halfway in the arena so you can see you know what's going on on that stage from at least a camera's view but that stuff may not have existed had Journey not pushed that envelope. It's out there if you if you're a Journey head like me. But I'm gonna have to pull out some of my albums after this and look just to see if there's any of those credits. Because I'm like you, I like having the vinyl and the bigger artwork. And yeah, everything. they were they they did a lot of stuff. You know, they were great businessmen. I think it was Herbie Herbert that was the the brainchild. He was kind of like the bill of coin. Yeah. that kiss had you know he was the genius behind their their marketing and and selling you know putting their pictures on everything and herbie herbert was the guy that was like hey you know we'll invest in this sound and video technology and we'll be able to rent it out when we're off tour so we're constantly having income coming in and you know that's a lot that's a big write-off too for the band and they can keep buying you know, and upgrading their, their video stuff. And, you know, it's basically a write-off. So 
Uh, well, I guess one last thing, like to wrap up too. How many times have you seen Journey in concert? I don't know, maybe five or six. Have you seen them with each of the different singers or eras? I've never seen them with Arnell. You know how, how things get hazy, you know, after years and stuff. I think that I saw Steve Perry on the Escape Tour, and I had the T-shirt. Oh, wow. But, but I was younger then, but I've seen, you know, I've seen Jeff Scott Soto. I didn't, I didn't see Azure either. Oh, interesting, because my first concert ever was with him in the band, and I saw him in uh, 2003 in Peoria. And then the only other time was, I think, 2012, and it was with Arnell. So. Yeah, I thought uh, Arjuri was great. I thought, but they, they did the same to him. They, they blew him out, you know? So you, you can't sing like Steve. Steve Perry can't sing like Steve Perry five nights in a row. Yeah, really. You know, even, even in his prime, you know? And it's, it's sad that, you know, they're like, just, just do it suck it up buttercup you know but that's why they go through these singers and these singers end up you know if you've heard Ajuri now try to sing journey stuff he goes out and tours as the former singer of journey and he sings journey songs but he doesn't sound like Ajuri did back then and it's not because of age it's because they you know he he got the calluses it's just it's just sad when Singers are looked at as just tools and they get overused and abused and and then we spend the last of our years with everybody saying, God, those guys suck. They can't sing. Gosh, he used to be great. You know, well, if these bands wouldn't abuse and take advantage of them, you know, and, and give them a day or two rest like you were talking about. You know, maybe we would get more years out of these singers, you know, instead of, you know, pushing them to the limit. I guess you would think they would know better by now because back in, you know, the 70s, I guess that was the thing with the record labels, right? They just keep putting them back out on the road to sell another album. Well, that's true. But the thing is, too, in rock and roll, even even bands that, you know, we grew up with, the Motley Crue's and Rat and Kiss and all this stuff, these guys never thought they'd be 70 years old playing these songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you're young and you're playing rock and roll, rock and roll is a young man's game. None of us thought, and, and bands in the 70s and shit, they, they would like put out two or three records and they were, they were done. You know, oh. they, didn't, they didn't go out and tour again. They were just done. Most of them went back to having day jobs or if they were successful, they just lived off their royalties. But, you know, nobody was doing, you know, tour, hey, you know, let's get back together after 10 years and go out on tour. Nobody was doing that. It was almost like you grew up. You you were a kid and you had your adolescence and that was your rock band. And then when it was over, it was over. But now with, you know, nostalgia and people's, you know, appetite for nostalgia and, and egos and there, there's a reason probably why Steve Perry isn't, you know, singing with Journey because people would be going, oh, that doesn't sound like the, the Steve Perry I knew that was 22 years old. You know, so you're constantly chasing that 
you know, trying to be the younger version of yourself, which you can never be, you know, so he's been smart enough to actually stick to it, you know? Yeah, he does solo stuff, but, you know, he's not trying to compete with Journey anymore. You know, he's not trying to be that. He knows that he has to tune down to sing. He knows that he's in a lower register. But, you know, you see Motley Crue out there and they're, you know, in their 60s. They're younger than some of these guys. And they, you know, they, they probably never thought that they'd be, you know, playing out at 60. They thought they'd be dead by then. You know, you live fast and you yeah. die young. And and fortunately, I guess, or unfortunately, depending on who you want to talk to, you know, most of these guys are still alive and they still are getting offered to play. So I don't blame them a bit for going out there, but it's just, it's just funny. Just because, you know, he hasn't played in so long and and he's got such, he has that power. You know, maybe not play as big a place as his journey, but I don't know, maybe. He might be able to play stadiums. But he I, knows better. Yeah. He's not he, like he's, what? Some of them oversaturated. Yeah. Yeah, he's not going to do that because he knows that he's chasing his old ghost and he's not going to be, he'll never live up to what people are are going to expect of him. He did it right. He fucking did it and he has a legacy that will live on because that's a true person that, that really cares about his craft and he cares about his fans enough not to let them down. You got to give it to him for that. And then next week he'll announce his, his tour. So, and then I'll, I'll have to eat all my words. (laughs) 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 Then you'll be calling me again. Hey, Shane, uh, you want to talk about uh, how Steve Perry <laughs> <laughs> totally sold out and uh, now he's uh, whatever. And I'll say, okay, Andy, you're right. I sh- I, I'll eat my words. Actually, hopefully the next time we talk, you'll have met Steve Perry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with I that. I don't know. I haven't been to church in a while, so mm. I don't know. We've been doing other things and been kind of busy, so. Hopefully, I haven't seen Bryce in a while, but he's a, he's a nice kid. I call everybody a kid because I'm fucking old, but uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah. But right now, I'm not even playing in a tribute band, so it's just the hot summers for me, kid. Um, just you guys, the hot summers. You guys got any shows with that lined up, or anything in the uh, future? We do. I just I can't I can't talk about it right now because they haven't announced a couple things coming up, but they're big shows and. Uh, no, we're we're still working. There's a couple of videos being uh, being worked on. There's a video for Batshit Crazy that'll be coming out. Oh, cool! And there's also a video for everything that's that's being worked out. So that's already shot. These just are being edited. So we should have something soon, you know, to release. And we've actually worked on a couple of cover songs just for the hell of it, because Mick's a workaholic as far as music goes, and we're staying busy. You know, we're just in, you know, in this atmosphere, it's it's hard to get people to hear you. And there's just so much stuff out there. And we do, you know, as many podcasts and little things that we can to get the name out. But, you know, without millions of dollars and a promotional team and a PR firm, you yeah. know, nobody's going to fucking hear it. So 
if you're if anyone's listening to this, please buy it. <laughs> it's really good. Or just listen to it. Or just listen to it. I don't care if you're you know, I'm not in this to get rich. I'm not in here to be a rock star anymore. It's it's more of just to be heard and, and to have something for my legacy. So when, you know, I'm I'm gone and you know, people can go, Oh man, that that guy, you know, had a good voice or I really like this song. It meant something to me or you know, things like that. Nick and I are our, you know, he's like my brother, my older brother, and I couldn't be happier with our relationship and you know, we don't fight. We just we just make music and we respect each other and you know, even though he's been a rock star, he treats me as an equal and I think that that's you know, it's fucking awesome, you know to not feel like lesser than, you know? Yeah. So it's it's good. Well, thanks for talking but, to me tonight, Shane. I'm I'm glad we got no, the I'm phone sorry, thing worked I, out. I go all over the place and I probably went off topic a lot, but I know we were supposed to mostly talk about Journey and I tried to keep rolling it back to Journey, but Oh, it's fine. You know, it's fine. It was It's fun. just weird how it intersects with my life and with my personal life and with the things I've done and there's been there's been little stories that go like intertwine even even at the time I, I had no idea that they were journey related but it's it's just weird but well thank you so much Andy always a pleasure talking to you and uh, oh yeah of course man it's always a good time talking to you well anytime man anytime you need something from me you know you can always call me yeah. I'm Ooh, there okay anytime maybe I should end with that <laughs> there you go yeah. Look up Natural Thing. I'm telling you, it's a treat. Oh, I will. So go do your thing. I'll have to talk to you about the new Halloween movie when that drops. I have tickets for it uh, Thursday at 8 at the AMC here in Burbank. So, Oh, man. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. So, I might not get to it till Sunday. So, Oh, man, how can you wait that long? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't. I, I have to... If it comes out early that day on Peacock, I'll be watching it on Peacock before I go to the theater. To see it. <laughs> That's just me. Like I said, I'll probably see it 38 times. Yeah. but And it probably still will suck. But whatever. Well, enjoy. Yeah, call me. Let me know what you think. All right. Well, have All a good right. night, man. All right, you too, buddy. I'll talk to you soon, Andy. It's a natural thing It's a natural